Welcome to another episode of The Dinner Table with Joe Sheehan. I am your host, Joe Sheehan, and we are coming to you the week of, or the weekend before spring break. Um, <clears throat> today's date is March 9th. Uh, I do apologize for the noise in the background. I, I'm recording this show from my home, because uh, again, this is a conversation around the dinner table. And my neighbors are doing some remodeling of their backyard so if you hear some drills or some saws or some things like that I do apologize uh, just know that we're trying to bring it to you as real as humanly possible uh, for your enjoyment unfortunately I'm seeing that uh, listenership is going down that's okay hey every great podcast uh, eventually picks up steam uh, for those two of you that listened this last week uh, I hope that you share uh, the podcast. I hope you get it out there for your friends. Um, I hope you come back and listen, and I uh, hope we get this going as much as possible. Um, apparently, the uh, Declaration 101 was probably my worst podcast before last podcast, uh, talking about liberty and baseball. But hey, that's Okay. Uh, you know, you fail, you pick yourself back up, you keep charging, keep doing. Um, one of the things that people say about trying to build listenership and trying to build uh, a podcast is uh, being persistent. Continue going. Uh, sometimes it takes a long time before something gets uh, going. So, again, uh, we are coming to you live from uh, my home. Uh, there's no editing involved here. Trust me, I'm recording this on my phone. We are on a cheap budgie uh, until we can start getting things going. So I do apologize uh, for quality, uh, but again, we're just trying to get going. We're trying to get something going. We're trying to talk to those people out there that are liberty-minded, that are proud to be Americans, proud to be conservative and libertarian Americans that want to see a renewed vigor in Americanism in our country. Um, there are people out there who want to see America radically transformed, uh, fundamentally transformed, to borrow a phrase from a, uh, President Obama. Um, and unfortunately, what they want to transform us in is not a progressive vision. Uh, if anything, classical liberalism, uh, liberty liberalism, uh, conservatism as it's defined today is greater or is a greater form of progressivism than today's progressivism if anything progressivism today is a regression not a progression uh they want to institute um things that have never worked they want to institute socialism uh and ultimately uh go from socialism to communism and as we know uh students of history can tell you that Socialism has never worked anywhere it's tried. They always want to talk about Sweden. They always want to talk about Norway. They always want to talk about the Nordic countries and how that they are prime examples. The people there are so happy. Well, yeah, they're happy because the government controls the media and the government is not allowed, uh, does not allow anything negative to come out of that country. But if you actually look at what happens, I mean, it takes eight years for somebody to be able to buy a car if they want to buy a car in Norway. Um, it you know, Sweden has actually abandoned socialism. Um, so 
it's not true that socialism has worked. Socialism has never worked. Uh, democratic socialism is a pie-in-the-sky pie dream. It just doesn't work. It, it does not work. I, I don't know how many times I have to say it. Uh, do the history. Do the, do the research. I mean, Venezuela is literally a month away from running out of food. Haiti, <clears throat> who is continually ravaged by hurricanes and earthquakes... Um, relied on socialist-type uh, governments to help them, come and help them. The Clinton administration, or the Clinton Foundation, excuse me, um, pledged $6 billion to Haitian relief, and uh, barely minuscule pennies on the dollar went there. Uh, there was actually an article out today, a video out today, people are eating mud in Haiti. Um, guys, we're we're on a precipice here as a nation. We're on a precipice uh, where there is a cold civil war going on in our country. It's a civil war of ideas. It's a civil war of uh, identity. Are we going to be the country that is uh, e pluribus unum, liberty, and in God we trust? Or are we going to be a country that is about equalite, liberté, fraternité? Uh, those three mottos were the reason why the French Revolution failed. It was a secular revolution. Uh, don't let people out there fool you. The American Revolution was not a secular revolution. The Founding Fathers wanted a government separated from the religion, but they knew that our form of government would not be appropriate for any other type of people than a religious people, uh, than a people who fear God. And let's let's spend a little time on that. Uh, John Adams was one who actually um, I'm quoting there, and it's it's not a direct quote, but you can look it up. Um, we, our society, in the in the, in the way that our government is function, it it has to be a morally virtuous people to see that this this government goes through. And people may claim, well, you know, if we're, more, if we're supposed to be morally virtuous, if we're supposed to be those things, then we need socialism because that takes care of the least of these, right? Well, no, it doesn't. And that's why. In theory, yes. In theory. But in practice, it does nothing to go against human nature. See, that was the beauty of our system, is our system was designed with human nature in mind. But if you have an ideology built around the premise that humans are innately good, which is what socialism is, it fails because it fails to acknowledge the fact that humans are not, are not innately good. Human beings are flawed. We are flawed in the fact that we are greedy, we are selfish, we are opinionated, uh, we are dogmatic, we are idealistic, okay? And you put all of those things together, and that is actually a regression in human nature. The reason why the American experiment, founded in 1776 and codified in 1787, the reason why it's worked for the last you know, 230 plus years is because the system of government that was put into place was put into place to tame and put into check human nature. And the founding fathers were wise in the fact that they knew that what the scripture said was that the first step to wisdom is fear of God. 
And that's also the counter to that is a fool says in his heart, there is no God. All right, now let's, let's, let's take that fear of God and let's examine that for a second. On its face value, the definition of fear is to be afraid. Okay, well, that a healthy fear is not a bad thing. We are all afraid of our parents, in most of us, in a healthy way. All right, in fact, a healthy fear of your parents is not a bad thing. Okay, worried about what your parents think of you is not a bad thing. Worried about your parents, you know opinion of you is not a bad thing. That's what the Bible talked about, talks about in the Ten Commandments when it says to honor your father and mother. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you live a life that is honorable to your father and mother, and you respect and fear your father and mother, then you will have a long life. That's the promise. It's, it's a commandment with a promise. And it's the only commandment with a promise. You will live a long life. Okay, that's the reason why when mom says, you know, don't climb to the top of that tree. Well, guess what? Mom is saying that not because she, you know, is a scaredy or worry wart. It's because she knows that if you fall from the top of that tree, which could be a possibility if the wind picks up or anything, you could die. Don't drive 100 miles an hour in the speed, you know, be a safe driver, come home safe. Those are all things that parents advise their children. So fear is good to a degree. When the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it is saying that when you concern yourself with what God thinks of you, then you are now pursuing wisdom. Because why? A moral code must have objectivity. Otherwise, it's relativist. And for morality to be objective, there must be someone that you are accountable to. And no, we cannot be accountable to each other ultimately. Because why? We will allow certain things to go past. We will, we will change our morality and our values based on our feelings rather than on a firm standard. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom tells us that we are going to have wisdom. We will be able to make great we will make, be able to make better decisions than other people who do not fear the Lord. And see for 200 and well I would argue that roughly for about 180 years we had a society that ultimately feared the Lord. Now, does that mean that we didn't have atheists? Absolutely, we had atheists. Does that mean that we didn't have Buddhists? Absolutely, we had Buddhists. We had, we had Muslims. We had all forms of real, religion. But, as a nation, we feared God. And that's an interesting concept because we had wisdom. Now, we look at today's world and we start laughing, especially those of us who appreciate wisdom. We start laughing at the world around us because we look at it and we see a world lacking in wisdom. Well, where does that come from? That comes from a secular society. Because a secular society is, says, do not fear the Lord, but fear me. 
It's why we have the mob mentality. It's why we have a government that is overreaching its boundaries. It's why we have people willing to throw out the Constitution, right? Remember we talked about in the Declaration of Independence, we talked about the fact that people are endowed by their creator. Well, if you don't believe in a creator, then who endows people with the right to life, liberty, and property? Well, therefore, it must be the people and the government. Well, no. These are inalienable rights. They can't be taken away. So we, we see that when we, are, when we are a society that no longer fears God, we no longer are a society that operates in wisdom. It's a biblical precept. We no longer operate in wisdom. So that's why we see policy not making sense, people not making sense. People running in, in, uh, for office that create these horrific, ludicrous ideas. This idea that we're going to be dead in 12 years. Well, they've been warning that for the last 30 years. You know, it's, it's interesting, the fact, and people are willing to believe it. Well, why? People will, when they cast off religion, when they cast off God, when they cast off a belief in a supreme being that they have to be accountable to, they, they now are, they become fools. And that's what the Bible says when it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And God is a God of liberty. It's why he created free will. He didn't create us to be automatons that weren't able to love him out of our own free ability to do so. All right? He created us the way that we are. But he created us with an, an enormous capacity for good because we are made in his image. But he also created us with an enormous capacity for evil. And the reason why is because in order for us to want to be a part of him and be with him and to love him, we had to do so freely. And so... These are things that we have to we have to reinstill in our society today. I'm not saying that you have to be a Christian. I'm not saying that you have to be religious. But being spiritual is not enough. You have to believe that there is a supreme being, not the universe, a supreme being who was the creator of the universe. Now, how he chose to create that is for a subject for another debate. But you have to believe that and you have to be fearful of him. And if we can be that way, if we can reinstate that, then now we can go to the texts of faith and have that, that wisdom as a standard that doesn't move. See, when we put when it, when we take the Judeo-Christian value system and we take God out of it, we now no longer have a standard that is immovable. We can we can look at the Bible and see the wisdom, but do we have to follow it? No, we don't. We don't have to follow that. That, that it's it's just a book. It's just you know it's it's like reading some of these self-help books by some of these self-help gurus. Do I have to do everything in the Bible? No, I don't. I don't have to do everything in their book. But the Bible, if you have a fear of God and you have a fear of a divine God, then guess what? You have to follow that. It's, it's the same thing like Thomas Jefferson said, I weep for my country for I fear that if God is a just God. And he was talking about slavery. 
Abraham Lincoln, who himself was a believer, he had his own set of really believe. I don't think he was actually really affiliated with any denomination of Christianity. But he himself said, I don't pray that God is on my side, but I pray that I am on his side. That's what the fear of God looks like. It's not that, you know, I don't pray that God is on my side. I pray that I am on God's side. And I think that's a smart way of looking, because if we are on God's side, then we're going to go to what did God say, how we are to live our life. And then we have that standard. Now, people, people again, I know if, if you're an unbeliever and you're listening to this, well, what about all these horrible things that are in the Bible? That's a, dis- that's a discussion for another day. And if you read the Bible with the understanding that much of the commandments in the Bible that God put forth were for the Israelites and not for us today, then you begin to understand that that was a history and that we're no longer under that covenant, that we are now under the New Testament covenant, which is a totally different. God now sees us through Christ. He doesn't see us through the lens before Christ. So again, that's something that we have to look at. In that, I go back to liberty, God giving us free will, God giving us the, um, the ability to make our own decisions. And I think that goes back to what I've been talking about the last couple of weeks, which is uh, John Stuart Mill's On Liberty. I think it's a very enlightening uh, book in regards to how we are to treat liberty. We, if you love liberty, then you need to be willing to live in a pluralistic society. What does that mean? Well, I got into an interesting uh, conversation with uh, someone whom I thought was a friend. Later, I found out that you know that friendship was paper thin. Um, and honestly. Uh, if you're going to cuss at me and you're going to call me all sorts of vile names, um, you're not going to be my friend anymore. That's just the way I look at it. Uh, now, you can come back and apologize when we be friends again, but I'm going to remove you from my life. I don't, I don't tolerate cussing. I don't like it. Uh, there's, 20, there's over 26,000 words in the English language. Uh, we can find better ways to communicate. And plus, I expect my friends to be able to debate. And if you want to call me all sorts of vile names, well, you get the ignore button. That being said, uh, the conversation I was having, this, this particular gentleman is a libertarian. Um, and it's interesting to me that every conversation that I've had with a libertarian, and this is not to paint libertarians with a broad brush, understand that. Uh, I understand that there are libertarians out there that are good people, who, can, who are capable of having good debate, uh, that are capable of living the true liberty-favoring life um, out there allowing pluralistic ideas um, as long as they're not harming other people and don't immediately jump to uh, ad hominem and uh, ad hoc accusations um, and accusing people of being the problem with the world when you don't disagree with them. However, uh, I tend to experience this type of attitude when I'm dealing with uh, libertarian people or people of a libertarian slant. And uh, it's really interesting to me that when you start applying their libertarianism to their thinking, 
um, especially when they are accusing you of being judgmental or um, being um, uh, condemning another person because of, of, of a choice that they have chosen, um, and yet they're condemning you for, for doing that, um, it seems very counter-libertarian uh, to me. Um, and then when they get mad at you and start cussing at you because you don't believe what they're saying or that you don't believe that you did anything wrong and need to have that lecture and you start using their logic on them, um, it's interesting to me that they, they claim to be very libert- liberty-minded and wanting everybody to live. But are they really libertarian? Do they really believe in libertarianism? Do they li- really believe in liberty or do they believe in anarchy? Because if you believe in anarchy, that's fine. If you think that human beings can live without government um, in their life, well, then you go right ahead and believe that. That's great. Um, It doesn't work. We have volumes upon volumes upon volumes of Enlightenment philosophy explaining to us that it didn't work. That's why we created government, hence the point of consent of the governed. But go go you, you be you. Okay, and you can't complain about, you know, but if you believe that, if you believe that everybody should be out there living their own life, doing their own thing, then you cannot, again, it comes back to uh, what John Stuart Mill says, if you can't live a life of plurality, meaning allowing different ideas to exist, then you can't go out there condemning everyone for having an an opinion that is opposite of yours. So if you believe in liberty, then guess what? You have to believe that someone who's a socialist has the right to be a socialist. They have a right to their opinion. And ultimately, you can discuss that opinion and debate that opinion and talk to one another. And But when the person stops having the right to that opinion is when they want to take that opinion and enforce it and make that the dogma of the state. Again, uh, and then force other people and, and restrict debate and all that. And again, I highly recommend you read On Liberty by John Stuart Mill in regards to this issue. Because not only do I believe that that applies politically, I, I do, I think, I think politically we need to have a society that is pluralistic. I think we need, I think we grow in a society like that. I agree with John Stuart Mill that it enhances intellectualism. It enhances, it, if, only, if, if only it enhances your argument against what you disagree with. It just sharpens you. This is, I think this is one of the things that, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, come let us reason together. Uh, it's another reason why iron sharpens iron. Uh, you can't have a sharpening without friction. So no, I don't believe that when it says iron sharpens iron, it means uh, you have to come together and be in complete peace with one another. Because being completely in peace and being in unity with one another doesn't mean that you have different, you, you're, you're all these uh, um, Stepford believers, that, that you all are identical. No, it means you're coming together, you're reasoning with one another, you're talking things out, you're building each other up, you're standing in unity behind one thing. It's one of the reasons why ultimately I became non-denominational is because I feel that we allow denomination and dogma to separate us as believers. For me as a Christian, I believe that if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for, for, for the sins of the world, 
that you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, the way, and the life, if you believe that he rose again on the third day and will be coming back, we are brothers. Whatever else you believe beyond that is open to debate. It's open to, to me, it's open to interpretation of scripture. And I'm fine with that. But there are certain things as Christians we cannot compromise on. And one of the things that we cannot compromise on is the fact that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one can come unto the Father but by him. Jesus said that. Okay? It's not a dogma. or So when people ask you as a Christian, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to... You say, no, I don't believe that. I know it because Jesus said it to be true. Peter later on reemphasizes that in his in his sermon to the to the people in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, where he says there is only but one name by which man must be saved. We can't equivocate on that. If you believe that all roads lead to God, you are not a Christian. And yeah, I'm going to say that. You're not. You're not. Because then you're cheapening your faith. You're cheapening the Lord's grace. And if all roads lead to God, then why should you be a Christian? Why can't you be a Buddhist? Why are you a Christian? Is it because you're culturally a Christian? Is it because that's what you grew up with? That's what you know? That's not good enough. And trust me, unfortunately in the Bible it says that. It says, Jesus even talks about that. There will be people who will say, Lord, Lord... When did we do these? You know, I we cast out demons in your name. We we fed, we did all the things that you told us to do. And Jesus is going to say, "Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you." There's going to be a lot of people that are going to that are going to wake up. But I digress. So understand that if we believe in Christianity, we cannot be threatened by other ideas. And I know I just said, yes, Jesus Christ is the only way. That's Yes, he is. It's the same as if we believe that there's only one God. Yes, there's only one God. But am I threatened by a Hindu that says there's thousands of gods? No. Am I threatened that that Hindu is going out there and telling people there's thousands of gods? I shouldn't be. You know why? Because the Bible also commands me to be ever ready to give defense for my faith. That's where apologetics comes in. I need to be able to give a defense. I need to be able to talk about my faith. But I also need to be willing to allow other people to live their life. So yes, do I say you're not a Christian? Absolutely. I do say you're not a Christian if you believe that all roads lead to God. But am I going to sit here and pass legislation demanding that you believe the way I believe? No, you're free to live that way and you are free to debate me all you want. And we are free to agree to disagree and continue to love one another and continue to be brothers and sisters. And you are free to live your life as you so fit. But I, so am I. That is true liberty. That's free will, guys. If God is willing to allow the myriad of other false religions out there and the myriad of people who even deny his existence... If God is willing to allow that, who are we to try to change the world 
through legislation and for and put be willing to put people in jail for having a, a contrarian idea. Instead of going out there and trying to force belief or force salvation through through legislation, what we should do is bone up on our faith, bone up on why we believe what we believe, and be willing to give a defense for that belief in the realm of debate in the public arena. That's true Christianity. Because that's true liberty. And where there is God, there is liberty. Because God is also the Holy Spirit. And where there is the Spirit, there is also liberty. And we must be willing to support liberty as believers in Jesus Christ. If, if for no other reason, then that is the most Christ-like that we can be. Now, where do we draw the line? When that liberty infringes itself upon the lives of the innocent. Because God doesn't draw a line there. And you say, well, why doesn't he intervene? He does. All the time. And yet sometimes he expects us to intervene. And sometimes he knows that not intervening is better than intervening. The same way that a parent knows, sometimes I have to let my child fall so that they can learn how to get back up. All right, guys. Well... We're out of time. We are approaching the 30-minute mark. And again, like I said, I like to keep it at 30 minutes for you guys. Uh, it's a short and sweet, straight to the point. Uh, again, guys, help me get the word out there. Recommend this to your friends. Let Play it for your friends. Get the word out. Uh, you can contact me. Uh, my email is joesheehan at gmail.com. Uh, you can also reach out to me at, on Twitter at... Joe underscore Sheehan underscore TX. Um, It's also, my name is Coach Joe Sheehan on there. Um, You can find me on Facebook. Let me know how you, let me know what you're thinking. Uh, Hey, if you don't agree with what I'm saying, I'm happy to talk to you about it. I'm happy to, to, to debate like I, like I said, but be, be careful because trust me, I'm going to debate. And if you can't debate without getting mad, Perhaps we might not ought to talk to each other until you can learn how to do that. All right. Well, hey, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time. It means a lot to me, guys. Again, get out there, get the word out. And uh, I'm going to say goodbye for today. And thank you for joining me around the dinner table. Until next time.